0: This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcbalone.org. All right, I'm going to have you go, first of all, to Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3 tonight. Um, We're going to a passage of scripture that actually doesn't really have anything to do with Christmas. But in a way, it kind of does. We're going to look at the genealogies of Christ. Uh, There are two of them. One is in Luke chapter 3. The other is in Matthew chapter 1. So once you find Luke chapter 3, I want you to put your finger there and kind of hold it. And then I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 1. Um, Matthew chapter one, or at least the gospel of Matthew, wastes no time in giving us a genealogy of Christ leading directly into the birth of Christ, or at least the narrative. If you'll notice, though, in Matthew, it begins in verse one, the book of the genealogy of Of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, you know that just by mentioning those two names, it's skipping some generations between Abraham and David. Okay? Because you know that in the Old Testament, a lot of history transpired between Abraham before you got to King David. But that's something important I want you to remember is that even though that skips generations, that is still a true statement. David was a son. In the same way, you can say that I am a son of Leonard Earl Woodard. He was my grandfather. I was his grandson. But I'm still his son. I am a direct heir and, and lineage to him. So even though you can add more generations, it's still a true statement. Okay. But he does begin in Matthew's text. He begins with Abraham and goes from Abraham and gives a bunch of names. And by the way, this text will preach just like the book of Romans or any other text in the Bible. A lot of pastors may be afraid to tackle a genealogy, but it will preach. I promise you. And you go from verse, uh, from verse one, go down to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14, from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14. And then it goes straight into the birth narrative, or at least the angelic you know revelations and, and then the birth narrative. But if you look at number uh, verse 16, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So we read that and very plainly it is telling us that this is Joseph's genealogy. Doesn't seem like there's any controversy over that, right? You would be correct. There really isn't any controversy to that. But we go back to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, by this time, Jesus has been born. He's been potty trained. He is growing up. He is a boy and growing into a young man. He is on the verge of his earthly ministry. And now we get to a genealogy. What gives? Well, when you look at the scriptures... When you look at uh, if you if you had a, if I had my Greek New Testament, I'd show you. But the title of the the Gospel according to Luke in Greek it's it's the word kata lukeon, meaning kata meaning according to, or according. Okay, so according to Luke, this is according to Luke. This is his story of the Christ. Luke's a physician. He's very meticulous in what he does and how he does it. Just like he he recorded the the book of Acts and, you know, very meticulous, you know, uh, detail-oriented. That's the way he was. And so there's a reason why we get to the the, the genealogy or another genealogy of Jesus. After the whole birth and the Bethlehem thing and, and all of that. And we find it here in verse 23. Jesus... When he began his ministry was about 30 years old. Luke tells us that's the reason why he's about to give a genealogy. Why he wants to explain what's going on here with with Jesus. Then he says, same verse. Being the son in all of your Bibles, I do believe, all the major English print Bibles will have a parenthetical statement and it will say something like this. As was supposed. Or maybe the word supposedly, but that's probably rare. But as was supposed of Joseph. Now, we Bible teachers will tell you that this is going to be Mary's genealogy. You keep reading, you don't find the name Mary. What gives? Why do we want to call this Mary's genealogy when it doesn't really say Mary? Well, before I answer the question, let's look at some differences between these two genealogies. If you read through this genealogy, you will see that eventually there's going to be some some wedding of some names here. There are going to be some names, okay? Beginning in verse 31, at the very end, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of David. It's mentioned also in Matthew's genealogy, okay? Son of Jesse. Uh, goes, you know, so forth, so on, naming more names, naming more names. Verse 34 the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Matthew would stop there. He did stop there. This genealogy keeps going. Name some more names. Verse 37 Methuselah, you've heard of him. And verse 38 the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Abraham. The son of God. Interesting. So supposedly Joseph's genealogy in Matthew only goes back to Abraham. Mary's supposed genealogy goes back all the way, not just to Adam, but traces it all the way back to creation, the son of God. Now, it's here where I'm just going to start rambling, Because I have no easy way to just give you um, like I was thinking, well, let me just give you a bullet point list. Well, it's it's not that easy. So I'm just going to kind of tell you what I know about the text and what I've studied and learned about the text. You hang on and we'll just, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll figure it on out. One of the first things we have to remember is that this created a dilemma that didn't begin with us. Uh, it began a long, long time ago. Now, there are books out there uh, that are what we call non-canonical. It means that they were not included in the canon that we have today. All right? This, the 66 books. One of the books that we have is called... <laughs> here's here, It's a good one. Okay? You ready for it? Proto-Evangelium of James. Otherwise known as the Gospel of James. Gospel of James. That, along with some other books, we refer to them also as the Infancy Gospels. These are supposedly, quote unquote, books that talk about the infancy of Jesus and things that happened when Jesus was a child. I should have brought in a copy and read to you from it. It is actually kind of hilarious. One of the texts talks about a time when, when uh, Jesus or, uh, Jesus was playing in the mud. And like all good little boys do, we're playing in the mud and we built this little dam, you know, and hold back the water. And this other kid kind of smashes it. And and Jesus got mad and cursed him. And um, I, I can't remember. He died or a hand withered. I, I can't remember the effect. But Jesus cursed the little boy and something bad happened. His da- The little boy's dad got mad and come to Joseph and said, you need to get your boy under control. I mean, it's that kind of stuff. I mean, it's quite, quite funny. Interesting to read, but it's in that book that it actually gives an account of Mary and what was happening behind the scenes, including mentioning her supposed birth parents, Jehoiakim and Anna. I'm going to read to you from the uh, this section of the Protoevangelium of James and listen to what he says about Mary. Mary. In Nazareth, there lived a rich and pious couple, Joachim and Hannah. They were childless. When on a feast day, uh, Joachim presented himself to offer sacrifice in the temple, he was repulsed by a certain Reuben under the pretext that men without offspring were unworthy to be admitted. Whereupon Joachim bowed down with grief, did not return home, but he went into the mountains to make his plaint to God in solitude. A complaint, in other words. Also, Hannah, having learned of the reason of the prolonged absence of her husband, cried to the Lord to take away from her the curse of sterility, promising to dedicate her child to the service of God. Their prayers were heard. An angel came to Hannah and said, Hannah, the Lord has looked upon thy tears. Thou shalt conceive and give birth, and the fruit of thy womb shall be blessed by all the world. The angel made the, promise, the same promise to Joachim, who returned to his wife. Hannah gave birth to a daughter whom she called Miriam, quote-unquote Mary, Early Christianity taught that Mary was consequently presented to the temple and she made a vow of virginity, which would have been the reason why she protested to the angel in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. You remember, she says in verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will I be since I am a virgin? Well, just because you have that quotation in The actual record of the gospel of Luke doesn't, I mean, you can make of it what you want to. All it's saying is that she was a virgin. She knew that she had not known a man up until that point. So if this is true, what the Protoevangelium of James is trying to teach us is that Jesus came from a royal and a priestly family. Now, I'm going to push back on that idea because all we need to know about royalty and priesthood is the fact that in this genealogy in verse 38, you have Adam mentioned as the son of God. If you trace the son of God, you go all the way through this genealogy, you'll get to Jesus himself. That, in my opinion, is enough for him to have a royal and a priestly family. No other type of requirements or events are necessary because the scriptures in Philippians 2 indicated as such, because he was coming from God in Philippians chapter 2. That was his qualification for royalty. A much lesser um, viewpoint, uh, some church historians talked about it, but it it never caught on, was that the um, genealogies are flip-flop that actually Mary's genealogy is in Matthew, but uh, Joseph's genealogy is in Luke. That was never a popular theory, but it is out there. If you ever read a lot lot of church, some church history may talk about it, but it's, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Here's the traditional viewpoint. So here's, here's kind of where we have what we have. First of all, you've you've got the fact that it is and has been presented in Scripture where a legitimate, honest to goodness genealogy would exclude the name of a woman just because. You know, as well as I do, just as as Mary was blessed and 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 the scriptures use women in dramatic and, and amazing ways. There are some types of history and record keeping where it was more patriarchal driven. Um, Moses did this and he, he the same thing that you see here. Moses already did it in Numbers 27. Um, uh, That chapter doesn't make sense, but at least in Numbers 27, he has done it. So it stands to reason why that same precedent couldn't be in play here by saying that this was the son, supposedly, or as was supposed, of Joseph. Now, that is number two, I guess you could call it. Another reason why this is, to me, still considered the uh, birth record of of Mary or Mary's genealogy, because it is still quasi-attributing Fatherhood to Joseph, and and recognizing him as a head of a household, the same way you see these other men. What were they? Heads of household. Did they have wives? Absolutely. That's why they had children. And so you you've got this 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 uh, this listing of names, and remember. It is not to, to get it is not to keep hashing out the birth of Jesus. This genealogy goes straight back to verse twenty three in its purpose is to talk about the ministry. Now, if you know anything about the ministry of Jesus, what did Jesus keep getting in trouble over? Equating himself with God. His miracles, all that he was it was because they were they were, you know, getting on to him for blasphemy. Well, what does this genealogy do? It ties Jesus to God. Because this is why? Because this is what we need to know about the background of Jesus before he goes into his public ministry. We need to know about the the legal and royal record that that Matthew kind of leans to, okay? And we do need to know about this natural royal record. This this is kind of the the natural lineage here. So so why what's the deal with Joseph being mentioned there there uh, anyway? Well, I already mentioned before because just just recognizing the the the, the patriarchal um, head of the household. But you also look at the parenthetical statement, as was supposed of Joseph the son of Heli. Now, when your children get married, uh, I've got a son and a daughter. One day, Lord willing, if uh, God brings someone to them, they will get married. My son, I will say, I'm, I'm losing a son, but I'm gaining a daughter. My daughter Sarah will get married. I'll say, I'm losing a daughter, but I'm gaining a son. Same, same thing right here. Okay. Okay. Same type of, uh, of idea going on. This was a supposed son of of Heli, the son of Matha, the son of Levi, Melchizedek Joseph, on and on and, and on. So I don't want you to read into it more than what's there. It's there, and Luke recorded it for a purpose. This this genealogy doesn't really get a um, doesn't get a whole lot of reading at Christmas time. We kind of focus on the on the 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 Matthew genealogy, but I at least wanted to point that out to you just to let you know that it's there. All right. Okay. let's talk about something else that's pretty interesting. I want you to turn with me to the book of um, book of Matthew. Let's go back to Matthew again and we'll look at the the birth record here. We're going to talk about. The Magi, this is this group right here, these guys, they're cool. I, I, I'll be honest with you, they are a cool bunch. But I don't know of if, if any other group that has been more misunderstood and and what have you than, than these guys, the poor Magi. Um, I've heard preachers preach some scathing sermons about the Magi. You know, these were bad guys. I've heard preachers talk about how good they were you know, they were the first missionaries. I agree that they were one of the first missionaries because of what they wound up doing. But uh, my heart goes out to the Magi. They were just misunderstood. So I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about the Magi in 15 minutes or less. You're going to be experts in 14 minutes, okay? okay? Well, the Magi are important because... We only have a few instances in Scripture, four or so, of Jesus as an infant slash child. We do not have much of him outside of that because it goes straight into his ministry. The Gospel of John, for instance, doesn't even touch his birth. No mention of it whatsoever. No mention. It just goes straight into His ministry, same with the gospel of Mark, nothing really mentioned about his birth and Bethlehem and the census and, you know, Caesar Augustus and all the world should be taxed and shepherds abiding in their fields. Nothing like that either. So we're limited on what happened with Jesus during this time This is one of those instances you had the uh, it's funny that the other three are mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke does talk about his circumcision, his presentation, which was eight days uh, uh, presentation at the temple. I believe that was 40 days. And then you remember he was left at church. Remember that happened? Homeboy got left at church. I got left at church before it was. Yeah, it was crazy. So, um, so outside of that, we don't have really much of Jesus until we get to here. So that's why it's important. First of all, let's talk about who they were. Song says, "We three kings of Orient are." Number one, they were not kings. The Magi never were and never have been royalty. The only crowns on their head is when somebody bopped them with a two by four or something. They were not royalty. What were the magi? If you want to know their occupation, here it goes. Officially on their resume, they would have said they are Persian zoastic astrologers. That's what they were. Persian zoastic astrologers. Astrologers, let's break it down. Persia. That does mean that they were from a easterly area. Okay? So they were, you know, from the east. Someone said they were firemen. Because they came from afar. Okay, so they were Persian. Zoastic. What word does that sound like or remind you of? Yeah, the Zodiac, the looking at the alignment of the stars and everything and the horoscopes. They wrote the horoscopes for the weekly newspapers. I joke with you, but that's that's what their intent was. They looked to the arrangement and the alignment of stars, planets and other heavenly beings and looked at them to interpret things. That's what they did. They were Persian. Zoastic astrologers. That was their job. So. In who they were. They weren't believers. In anything Judaism. They I mean, they might have known about the teaching of a Yahweh, of an almighty God. They might have heard that teaching. But that's not that wasn't their lot in life. That was that was just not their job. Their job appointed by royalty was to interpret the stars, figure out what's happening. That was a common practice in the Middle East. What would they do? Well, when they would see something happen, strange or otherwise, they would assign a certain value to it. In this case, this was a brand new star. And they said, "Uh uh-huh, there has been born a brand new king. Now, we are going to say, for the biblical record, it was okay for them to do that. It is not okay for us to do that. Matthew chapter twelve, you listen, verse thirty-eight. Some scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You don't need a sign. Don't look for it. Matthew 16, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So just like these magi, they look to the heavens. Heavens. He said, well, when it's evening, you'll say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to uh, uh, interpret the appearance of the sky, but you can't interpret the signs of the times. In other words, there is a level by which what we can interpret is okay. That's meteorology. Jesus said, that's fine. You can interpret the weather. You get anything above that, you don't know what you're doing. Getting above meaning in a more spiritual sense, not, you know, distance wise from the earth. I mean, that whole sign thing is just, it's, it's not going to help you with any. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know where you stand on John Hagee's four blood moons. But that's only a half step removed. From astrology. It's the same thing. Looking at the heavens. Figuring out patterns or whatever. And saying okay. Well then there will be some spiritual significance to to that. And that's why. In my opinion. Humble but accurate. It is hogwash. Anything like that. Just like. Those wackos who die and go to heaven or go to hell and come back and say they've been there. I don't believe them either. And neither should you. Now, what did they actually see? Did they even see a real star? Were they hallucinating? Were they making it up? They were not hallucinating. Okay. Weren't hallucinating. They did see something. And they did see something with the appearance of a of a star. And I'm going to take the interpretation of, I think, wise writers who suggest that this was a light that God supernaturally allowed much in the same way that there was a light that guided Israel In the days of Moses, like in Exodus 13, verse 21, you remember a pillar of cloud uh, by day, but a pillar of fire by night. It would have been something along those lines. Why? Because it moved. Let's look at the text here. Verse 1, Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king of uh, Herod, the king, behold, wise men. From the east came to Jerusalem and they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Their assumption was their reality. No matter what you would have thought about that start, they knew that the way that they were taught and trained, the way they interpret the stuff, this was a king. So they came to Herod. And you might want to underline the fact that he was a king. Let me break something to you. Kings don't like to be told that there's a new king on the block. Herod didn't like to hear that. But that's why they told him. So in a way, the, these old boys, they had Peter mouth. They just kind of said, like Peter, you know, they just kind of spoke without thinking. And so they went to the to the king on the block and said, hey, we're here to worship this new king. And Herod's like, what are you talking about? You know, Um. Come again, they say, for when uh, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship. When Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled. Boy, that's a word to use. <laughs> he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Listen, the word spread. There's a new king on the block. Why would the whole territory be worried? Well, what happens when two kings come together? A war. They're going to be fighting. So now Jerusalem's all up in arms. Oh, for crying out loud, there's going to be a war and battle and soldiers and people dying. And so verse four, assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he asked, he asked these guys, OK, well, track this thing for me. Tell me what you know. And they told him, well, in Bethlehem. For so it is written by the prophet. And remember, I told you, they might have had some knowledge and and understanding, but they didn't really, they didn't have a worshipful understanding or a worshipful knowledge. But they knew enough about world history to know that, hey, there is some ancient stuff written about this in the same way that you and I know that in grade school, how many of you read the Epic of Gilgamesh? Anybody ever read the Epic of Gilgamesh? Oh, come on. Please tell me somebody read. Did y'all got everybody go to Nassau County schools? No, we got to get Epic of Gilgamesh read in Nassau County schools. Got to get it. We do have it. Is it on, it's on. Is not. We got to get the Epic of Gilgamesh. Okay, here's the here's, Let me tell you about the Epic of uh, Gilgamesh. It is the one of the oldest known documents known to man. And it tells a story, get this, that sounds just like Noah. It talks about an epic flood. And so you have, you know, all sorts of intellectuals, this, and scientists, that, that talk about, well, the Bible borrowed from the Ezekiel Gilgamesh because it was the older document, blah, blah, blah. And they, you know, um, it's, yeah. They used some rubbish and some very questionable tactics to to do the dating, number one, but then also to to link the two. Uh, But in that regard, just as we know about ancient documents that sound familiar to biblical record, they too were knowledgeable about other systems of religion and their documents. That's why they are able to quote from what? A prophet. If you have a footnote, you'll know that this prophet is Micah five two. So Herod summoned these wise men, and you know he wanted to know more about it, like the time when did this when did this appear, and he sent them to Bethlehem. Says, "Go and search, because when you found me, let me know. I'm going to go worship him." He's lying. You know he's lying. I know he's lying. The magi are like, okay, we'll do it. You know. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them. Same language that we see in Exodus. Came to rest over the place where the child was. This was a celestial being of some sort that was able to move within a certain proximity to the Magi to direct them to. Now, think about it, guys. This wasn't like the star way up in the sky because you don't go look at a certain star and you know that it points to a certain house. This would have been something that would have directed the Magi to one particular location. This being a house where Mary, Joseph and the baby were. That's how the, So th- that's why we're, we're saying and other Bible teachers, scholars say, hey, this was something very similar, uh, if not maybe identical to what God did with Israel, leading them to the promised land with the pillar of fire. In verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy going into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Now, how many of them were there? Well, I told you they weren't kings. So maybe it ought to bring into question there was three of them. And you would be exactly right. There was way more than three. Magi didn't travel of packs of three. They traveled in humongous packs. You had their entourage. You had other people that were assisting them in various capacities. You would have had many. And the Magi themselves would have numbered, I don't know, we could probably say a dozen safely, maybe more, and their entire crew We get the number three. Where do you think we get the number three from? The gifts. What do they bring? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Now, without going into the spiritual significance of all of that, you know as well as I do, you've probably heard this before, these were gifts fit for a king. And they did correspond to the role and the function of who Christ the Messiah was going to be and what he did do. Again, these guys being very bright, being very wise, very smart people. They took Herod at his word and said, "Okay, well, we need to let Herod know, right? Wrong. (laughs) Now, (laughs) in verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They wouldn't have figured it out on their own, I don't believe. Because. And what's interesting now, now, here's what's interesting Okay, Mary had an appearance of an, you know, had an angel. Joseph, angel. Here, no angel is mentioned. But if you go right there, one more verse down. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, you know, you need to go another way home. Same morning, one angelic, one not. Um, I think that's very interesting to note. Because these magi remember they were they were not Jews, and uh, i 've reason and suspicion to believe that that 's why their information it doesn 't say it was attributed to an actual angel. Uh, I may be wrong, but i 'm just thinking that may have something to do with it. These were guys you know this is a horse of a different color, but they were warned divinely in a dream by the way listen. Um, I run into that being on mission trips. I have I have witnessed this. Stepping off um, uh, uh, in in Mumbai, India, we take this ferry, uh, packed it a gill with people. We cross this river, go to this place called Maud Island, M A H D Island, and uh, little village that was was up in there. We're walking, and this guy, and and one of the things we pray for, and we pray for missions, and we pray for the lost. God, give them. Dreams and visions. Give it to them. Lord, let something happen to let them know that someone is coming with a message, something, God, to break their hearts and get them ready for the gospel. We're walking into this village in Mod Island. I got a picture of him on my computer. I can show you his face. And I've got his name. He came to us. He saw us maybe from as far here to as his back doors. came to us. Me and the, and the pastor that I was with and my translator. He said, A voice told me to come to you. I was on my way to a job, but a voice says, come to you. You've got a message to tell me. I said, you better bet I got a message for you. We shared the gospel with him. He accepted Jesus Christ right then and there. So, yes, I mean, it was. They were warned in the dream and they departed to their country by another way. We don't know what happened to them. We never hear from them again. But I would just safely assume that wherever they went to They let other people know what happened to them. So, yes, in that sense, they were some of the very first missionaries taking the message of Jesus to another land. All right. Uh, That is all you needed to know um, about the Magi. There's nothing else you can ever learn about the Magi, you've learned it all. Oh, I tease you know that. But I do hope that maybe there's something you didn't know about the Magi that uh, you know now. But I think most importantly, you see the value in the record of Jesus and why things were recorded the way that they were recorded and the value that they have for us. Okay? Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcbalone.org.